with the 20th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Chris McPherson, and welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. Join alongside, as always, the venerable Fran Duffy. Fran, you shedding a tear? 282 days until college football returns. Oh, you've already got the countdown started. Yeah, it is sad, sad day, but hey, it was, a, it was a heck of a way to go out. Like, awesome game Monday night. You don't even look back. You're just like, you know what? Let's move to the future, That's you right. know? Hey, look, I, I don't live in the past. <laughs> no, it was, it was, a, it yeah. was an outstanding game between two great teams, and uh, especially with the way the bowl season had kind of developed over the course of the last couple of weeks. It was what, a dud. Yeah, it was a dud. <laughs> Let's put it was a lot of laughers, not a lot of close games. This one was an outstanding game. All right, so uh, producing behind the scenes, Chris Stevens, the farewell tour for one Chris Stevens. Uh, so the offseason schedule for our podcast, it's not just during to draft presented by AAA. Of course, that will come each and every Wednesday. But actually starting on Monday, if I'm correct, Fran, We'll have special episodes of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by Triple Eight because you and Alex Smith will be on the scene at the East West Shrine game. Correct. So what I would what I would say is I would expect Journey to the Draft on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week, okay. and then the following Monday through Friday. Wow. Every single day we'll have a podcast updating you on the latest happenings from the Senior Bowl down in Mobile, Alabama, and then we will get to our regularly scheduled programming in the off season of. Mondays with Eagles Insider, Tuesdays with Eagle Eye in the Sky, and Wednesdays with Journey to the Draft, both in audio and in video form. Ooh, look at that. Just for Journey to the Draft. Correct. We're not going to overload all no. of you out there listening. No, we don't want to do that. So uh, thank you very much for all of your support. Again, rate and comment wherever you listen to our podcast or watch our podcast. In fact, uh, will the Eagles have a new head coach in place by the time that you guys head down for the Shrine game? That's a good question. We shall uh, We shall see. When we were... When we were down there in 2013 is when they made the announcement for Chip Kelly. It was midweek. It was, I want to say it was the Wednesday of that week when we found out when the news broke. So uh, we'll see if that happens again. You were on your way to a practice at the time, was it correct? We, were, we had just finished one. I believe we were heading to lunch before the second one when we found out. So was it a situation you were with uh, Adam Kaplan, good <laughs> yeah. friend, and did you, did you throw it at him like – Adam, what do you think about this uh, Chip Kelly to the Eagles? And did he play it off like, nah, well, so nah, here's, nah, So here's what was funny was that Tony Bruno put it out first. If you remember right, Tony Bruno put it out first and said, oh, you know, the, the Eagles are going to hire Chip Kelly. Saw that on Twitter. And Adam said, Tony doesn't know what he's talking about. That's not, that's not <laughs> happening. Within two or three minutes, uh, Chris Mortensen had tweeted out saying, hey, you know, the Eagles are going to sign Chip Kelly. And he was like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> It was cla- I love Adam. Classic. Cla- class- classic. It was, it was great. All right. So uh, later on in the podcast, we'll get to your questions in our mailbag. Uh, the pick six, six players to spotlight. This week, Fran is going to look at six players he's looking forward to seeing at the East-West Shrine game. Correct. Uh, but coming up next, Giraffe Buzz, where we delve into the latest news and gossip surrounding the Eagles and the NFL Draft. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, for Draft Buzz this week, let's start with, Fran, your Saturday scouting column, which looked at the... The very final one. The final one. The final one. We need, we need a drop right now, uh, Stevens. We need like a little swan song, a little sad music. 
something to really set the mood. I don't know that we've got I got that ready for you, but we can keep it going. We'll keep it going here. So, um, so basically, just you looked at five key matchups. I really enjoyed this column because it was just focused on this one game, and it was you know the five key matchups in the national championship contest. Uh, so let's go through them. Of course, Alabama being Clemson, forty-five to forty. Nick Saban's fifth national championship. Every single one of his recruiting classes has won a national championship. I saw that stat. Unbelievable. It's amazing. Unbelievable. Absolutely amazing. Um, but the first matchup that you want to look at was Clemson's Deshaun Watson. Now, of course, true sophomore, not going to be in the 2016 NFL draft. Uh, but looking at the numbers, it was just very reminiscent of the Michael Vick Florida State national championship game where you had the best player on the one side. But the best team was on the other side. And the best player did all he could to keep him in the game into the fourth quarter, but just wasn't enough in the end. How about when he was rolling to his right and going near the near pylon? It was late in the fourth quarter, going for a touchdown. <clears throat> and it was very, very reminiscent of Vince Young against USC. Same area of the field and everything. Uh, now he fell short and he got, he got stopped short of the, uh, of the pylon. But um, look, great, great performance by, uh, by Deshaun Watson. The Heisman finalist obviously will be one of the top names to consider for next year's college football season. Very, very excited to dig deeper into him uh, over the summer. It's amazing because there are a lot of parallels to that game. It was the 10-year anniversary last week of the Texas-USC game. So a lot of comparisons there. But Watson fishing with 405 yards passing, led the Tigers with 73 yards rushing, uh, four touchdowns passing. And when you look into the future, it's he makes the guys around him better. I mean, look at who had the two first quarter touchdowns, a freshman walk-on named Hunter Renfro. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's interesting to see because, look, this, this offense, we talked about it last week and I mentioned it in the column, there's so many layers to that Clemson offense from a speed, a misdirection, and a tempo standpoint that it was going to present a lot of different challenges to Alabama, and that's why I made that matchup, a Deshaun Watson versus Reggie Ragland matchup. Now, you didn't hear much of Reggie Ragland uh, in last night's game, I'm very, very anxious to go back and watch the, watch the game back and see, you know, what was Raglan's role in in defending this option attack and, uh, you know, why was he, quote-unquote, taken out of the game. I'm very, very anxious to see uh, what happened when I go back and watch it. Now, the next matchup you had down here was Clemson running back Wayne Gallman, a dynamic playmaker in his own right, going against the outstanding defensive line of Alabama and the Crimson Tide defensive line came to play. Gallman was headed to just 45 yards on 14 carries, and his longest gain was 34 yards. He did score a touchdown for the Tigers. Yeah, so what is that? Uh, 13 carries for uh, 11 yards there total when you take that 34-yarder out. Now, he was banged up. He came in and out of the game multiple times, mm-hmm. was back in the locker room at some point. I think it was early fourth quarter, late third quarter. Uh, tough physical guy, and you saw the competitiveness. I mean, you saw that, especially late in the game when uh, they were trying to forge a comeback late. The the ability uh, to be able to break tackles and, and run through contact never, almost never goes down with that first defender make contact. Just a very, very impressive runner. A redshirt sophomore, so we'll see if he does decide to declare. As of this point, we're filming this on Tuesday morning. He has not declared yet. The only person from that game who was said anything so far is the the young tight end for Clemson, uh, Jordan Leggett, who, who had said that he's going to stay at Clemson for another year. The senior tight end class, by the way, is looking to be very good for next year. But <laughs> we'll touch on that a later date. Later on. So <laughs> the underclassmen have until Monday yes. to declare for the this year's NFL draft. Um, someone who will be in this year's draft class, the Heisman Trophy winner, Derek Henry, 158 yards, three touchdowns, put the game away. 
late in the fourth quarter with his third score. And you weren't just focused on him. You were focused on the running back duo of he and Kenyon Drake. Well, Drake's special teams touchdown, 95-yard kickoff return, helped uh, the Tide seal the deal. Well, what's ironic is is that I was really trying to decide how I was going to go with that matchup. Was I going to just focus on... Derrick Henry, or was I going to take Kenyon Drake and, po- and pair him with O.J. Howard as the most oh. flexible pieces? And I ended up going away from that and, to, and staying with Kenyon Drake. But You'd only done it. Really an, an explosive playmaker for sure uh, in, in Drake and the ability to, to be flexed in a number of different positions. Obviously, you saw the special teams value last night. Uh, and then Henry, look, there were, there were times where you know, obviously he, had that, he got the Alabama on the board with that long touchdown run. You know, but some of the issues popped up as well in, in terms of can he create yards for himself? And I know we're going to talk about him later in the show, but uh, that'll be a big conversation with Derrick Henry. I think he'll be one of the more divisive prospects uh, throughout this draft process. If you had one with O.J. Howard, he only had 208 yards, five catches, pair of touchdowns. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got a guy that I've known since his true freshman year when he caught that quick slant pass against LSU and took it to the house, 53 yards. He's just a really impressive athlete that – Hasn't been a huge facet of that passing attack, but has been used as a blocker, has been a starter for three years. Really impressive talent. We'll see if he decides to declare as a true junior. All right. Up next, uh, you wanted to take a look at Clemson's Shaq Lawson. Outstanding defensive end. Had two sacks in the first half. Was playing on a sprained MCL. The fact that he was able to do that and still be able to look agile uh, while getting after quarterback was very, very impressive to say the least. Uh, looks like he's going to be probably a top 10, top 15 guy in this year's draft class. We, we shall see. He has already declared. Uh, keep in mind also he's going up against one of the more highly regarded tackles in the country and Cam Robinson from Alabama, a sophomore. Uh, and then how about his teammate too? Kevin Dodd was unblockable at times uh, on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Dodd has been rumored to declare. I think our friend Tony Pauline has said that he is likely to declare for the draft. So between those two guys on either side, uh, you've got two pretty high picks at the edge rusher spot. Another potential high pick, cornerback Mackenzie Alexander, uh, if he declares for the draft. He is not officially declared yet, if I'm correct. Correct. Uh, he came into the game with a hamstring injury, made a couple plays early, exited the game in the second quarter, and it really seemed to take a toll uh, on the Clemson defense, uh, Jake Coker was able to attack the secondary once he exited the game. Yeah, and Alexander is a guy that's really, really confident in man coverage. Uh, has had you know some up and down play in the games that I've watched, though he's been very, very impressive and a guy that uh, again has the instincts to play on the back end in man coverage. Uh, shows the quickness, the agility, the ball skills, the instincts to hit pocket with receivers downfield. He's not the biggest guy, and we'll see how much that impacts his status moving forward. But a very interesting prospect, to say the least. Yeah, the size will be the big question with no him. No question. He's, not even, he's listed at 5'11", right. so you know it'll be probably less than that once he has his official measurements taken. All right, uh, up next, uh, some recent declarations. It's hard to kind of sift through which ones have been uh, – the more notable ones of late, but the one that stood out to me was Jalen Smith from Notre Dame, uh, who had that horrific knee injury in the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State, underwent surgery, um, but had a great message that he posted on YouTube thanking the Fighting Irish and saying that uh, he will enter this year's draft class. Exactly right. And we, I mean, we know that what Jalen Smith can be. He's one of the more dynamic uh, linebacker prospects in the entire country. He's a guy that can play in space. He can play downhill, can play in the box as a run defender. His ball disruption numbers aren't great in terms of playing in coverage, but he's got the athleticism. Uh, he's got the instincts to play on the back end as well. Just a very, very impressive player. I think the question with Jalen Smith will come down to 
you know, when you've got Reggie Ragland, when you've got Miles Jack, when you've got Darren Lee and some of these other top end linebacker prospects, are you more likely to go with Jalen Smith and trust his talent? Or are you going to try and say if you're going to take the risk and, and go with them? It'll be, it'll be very, very interesting to see uh, how that happens. Because, look, we look back to last year, Todd Gurley had the torn ACL, albeit it was much earlier in the season, mm-hmm. had more time to recover. Uh, it'll be very interesting to watch. The thing with him is just how bad was the knee because there were multiple ligaments. There was the question of there could have been nerve damage. Right. I mean, it sounded like it could have been much more significant there. Yeah, and the early, early reports say that the, the nerve looks solid and mm-hmm. that it, it looks okay. So uh, we'll hope for that to be the case. Anyone else notable from the list of recent declarations? You know, I, I, I'm really intrigued by Tyler Boyd, the, the receiver from Pitt. I think he deserves to be one of the best receivers, uh, considered one of the best receivers in the country. And then really also Deronia Wilson had put it out on social media from Mississippi State. Uh, he's 6'5". I want to say he's 220. I mean, he's a really big kid for the receiver position. Played basketball at Mississippi State. Was it all? You know, I think he was Mister Basketball coming out of the state of Alabama, coming out of high school. A guy that's got great ball skills. He's got great size. He can get downfield with his speed. Still needs to get better as a route runner, but a guy that can do a lot of different things with the ball in the air. Very intriguing prospect. All right, let's look at a couple recent mock drafts that have come out in the last few days. Uh, guys over at CBS Sports, Rob Rang and Dane Brugler each put out a new one, and uh, a couple things they agree with. You just start look through the list and see, you know, where the consistencies were. There's some vast differences. They both have Laramie Tunsil, your favorite player, your top pick, I would say at this point in the process. I would say so. Both have him going number one to Tennessee. Talked about Shaq Lawson. They both have him at number ten going to the Giants. A lot of differences in there. When you get to the Eagles at number thirteen. Rob Rang goes with the corner from Florida, Vernon Hargraves. Yeah, and I think with Hargraves, look, if, if everything had stayed status quo here in Philadelphia, no one would be talking about Vernon Hargraves to, to the Eagles because he's going to be on the shorter side. And he's, mm-hmm. again, like Alexander, I think he's listed. He might even be listed 5'10". Yeah. I, have to, I have to go back and look. Chances are he's going to be in that 5'9", 5'10 range, and how much will that impact him moving forward? Uh, that'll be the question with Hargreaves. And then you look at Dane Brugler's pick at number 13, Jonathan Allen, the defensive end from Alabama, who we got to see in the game last night. Sure, and he plays inside, he plays outside, uh, can win from a number of different spots, kind of a relentless-type pass rusher. Uh, very intriguing player. I haven't done a ton of work on him, but I watch a lot of Alabama just because of uh, how many prospects they have and how many prospects they go up against on a weekly basis, and he has always flashed. All right, Dan Kadar from SB Nation goes with Taylor Decker. And everyone's going to be talking about the offensive line, how will the Eagles address it in the offseason. He goes with the uh, the Buckeye at number 13. Yeah, I, I guess the question is, is do you expect Lane Johnson and Jason Peters back, which both of us do, uh, and do you think that one of the three of those players could then play guard? Otherwise, Decker's going to be sitting on the bench. Um, you know, And that'll be the big question to me. When we're talking about offensive line in the first round for the Eagles, unless there's going to be a move up, uh, you, when you're looking at these guys, are they the t- – one of the 13 best players in the draft and can one of them play guard right now and that'll be the big question and it's do you want to force that to just kind of get him on the field for a year when you don't know if it's going to be a long-term fit and it may not be the best use of the guy's talents and then you get into the whole the argument and i'm not saying which one's right which one's wrong but the argument of taking an interior offensive lineman in the first round uh has been mixed results and and we've talked in the past how offensive linemen in the first round overall has been really mixed results over the course of the last five years uh, it's an interesting debate. Are you for or against it? You know, I think that you can find offensive linemen later, but I think that when you look around the league and you look at who the, some of the best linemen are, more often than not, they are taken in the first round. So 
you know, I think that I, I see both sides of it. You know, when I, when I look at it, where the Eagles are at and in terms of needing an interior offensive lineman, I don't know that you need to force the issue at 13. I don't think you force it, but if the guy is talented enough. Sure. Oh, and, if it's Zach Martin, you know, and that's, what, that's the most recent case study of uh, early success has been Zach Martin uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. If a guy's Zach Martin, sure, he plugs right in and he, and he starts and he's a pro bowler and you're set and he's an all-pro in year two, whatever. Uh, you know, I think that then but you then you look at Chance Warmack, you look at Jonathan Cooper, you look at you look at Danny Watkins. Mm-hmm. There there's lots of other issues or a lot of a lot of other examples of guys that haven't worked out from the interior line spot where, you know, maybe you waited another round or two and, and there's something there. Then you get into evaluation of prospects and positions. It, that's the thing is it's like if you know the guy's gonna be good and you don't. Obviously sure. you don't know. But if the guy's good and be good, you you want to get good football players no at question. the end of the day. Now, then you get into the value thing where it's like, okay, maybe he will be a starting level player for you and he'll be right. a good starter, but could you have gotten him in the second round and you could have gotten someone else in that, in that spot? And, that, and that's why, that's exactly right, because that's why I would ask, okay, well, is he one of the 13 best players? Yeah. Uh, is he, if you're taking Taylor Decker, you're saying he's one of the 13 best players in the draft. Uh, that, that would be, that would be this, the statement. All right, so uh, just a note on KR's draft that he had Jared Goff of Cal going number two to Cleveland. And then he has still both Carson Wentz and Paxton Lynch on the board at that point. Uh, did you have a chance to watch Wentz play? I did watch. All? I did watch the other day, and I actually watched two more games from earlier in the season okay. over the weekend. And just a really impressive player. Yeah, and really, he might be overall. He might be my favorite quarterback in the in the draft, just because I think that he's very very well rounded. Uh, a guy that's competitive. He didn't have to play the other day. You know, no. uh, he, I mean, he could have easily just said. Look, I'm not, I, I might not be 100%. I might be rusty. What if I come back and I, and I don't have a good performance? You know, what, what kind of momentum is that going to give me? No, he, he said, no, I want to play. I want to go out. It was his 23rd start, which is a low number for uh, quarterback draft prospects. So needed more tape on him. He went out and he had a good game and won the, won the national title for his team. Uh, just a, a, a great showing and a, and a guy that's really, really impressive in a lot of different ways. Really excited to see him down at the Senior Bowl. You, speaking of Senior Bowl, one quarterback who will not be there yes. is Connor Cook. You've been to a couple of senior bowls now. What does that do for a potential draft prospect, especially someone who has the opportunity to showcase there to put themselves in that upper echelon? You just look at recent examples. And Geno Smith was a guy who skipped out, and he ended up falling. Uh, A.J. McCarron was a guy who skipped out. He ended up falling to the third day. Uh, and then there are guys that were in similar situations that ended up going. You know, you look at E.J. Manuel and, this, and what he did for his stock when he went to the senior bowl. Uh, and it's not necessarily all oh, what does he do in the week of practice and what does he do during the game. It's, hey, you get in front of NFL decision makers, you get in front of scouts, you get people who start to become more comfortable with what you can be at the next level. E.J. Manuel went and helped himself. Derek Carr went and helped himself. Uh, try, over the course of the past couple of years, there have been guys all along the way at the quarterback position that have gone to the senior bowl showed really well throughout the week of practice, showed really well in terms of meeting with teams and, and getting an early feel for uh, what that guy can be as your starting quarterback, and, it, and it's helped guys. So I, I, I can't say that I agree with his decision to skip out. All right, so that's going to do it for our draft buzz. Now let's transition into pick six. Now it's time for pick six. All right, so to get you all ready for the East-West Shrine game next week, in St. Petersburg, Florida, Fran Duffy is going to go through the six players that he's most looking forward to seeing. And yes. he could not even contain it to six. I'm seeing the list now for the first time. And, of course, <laughs> and I always joke, it's like, Fran, we got to keep it to six. Okay, not 
six players on the east side, six players on the west side, not six offensive players on this side, that side. We've got to keep it as six in the game. And you failed to do so. I failed to do it. But I kept it at seven. It was close enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, now, look, there's two guys at the front that kind of fit in the same mold, and it's guys that can play along the defensive line, really in the front seven, and win from a number of different spots. And I'm really interested to see what position and what scheme these two players end up in at the next level. And the first is Appalachian State uh, edge player Ronald Blair. He's 6'4", 270 pounds, really, really impressive on tape. He's got good size. He's really quick. He's got a burst to close in the open field. He's got a really high motor, plays sideline to sideline. We just got done talking about Clemson. They could not block this kid back in September. He's relentless on the field. He can win with quickness inside. He can win win, win with quickness on the outside. He's got violent hands. He can give offensive linemen issues. He's a really fun player to watch. The question is, again, what is his best position? Is he Mm -hmm. a defensive end? Can he play as an outside linebacker in a 3-4? You know, can he slide inside and develop into a three technique? Or, you know, can he just play be one of those versatile chess pieces that can play up and down the line? Just a really fun player to watch. And then again, uh, along that similar vein, you have the Stanford kid, Aziz Shitsu from uh, from Stanford, 6'3", 279 pounds, so similar type body. Uh, he's a really interesting player, again, because you can win both inside and outside. A couple different pass rush moves. He's got very good athleticism for the defensive line spot. He's got a high motor. He plays with very good technique. He plays low to the ground. His hands are always in the right place. His hat's always in the right place. He can be effective in a one-gap or two-gap scheme from a number of different spots along the line. He'll need to get stronger, especially if he wants to play full-time inside, but he's a really intriguing player, especially considering how little he actually played at Stanford. Was he just part of a rotation there? Is that why he wasn't on the field as much? Or Early early in his career, he was part of a rotation. He became like a part-time starter as a junior in 2014, and then he tore his ACL in September. Uh, so then he came back, was a full-time starter this year, was first-team All-Pac-12, was very, very disruptive uh, week in, week out, and he actually put in for an extra year of eligibility because of how much time he missed as a junior but the NCAA denied it, so he will be entering the draft. Uh, I think he's going to be one of the best players down at the trying game. I'm very, very interested to see this kid up, this kid live. With Blair, did they drop him back in coverage at all? They moved the, everything. I mean, he did everything. Uh, now, he didn't do as much coverage as, as getting after the passer, but Certainly. showed the ability to be able to do it. And again, at 6'4", 270, there were times where, and again, it wasn't against you know like uh, Louisiana Lafayette. Like I, I watched him against Clemson, <laughs> yeah. and they couldn't block him. He was they had to move like two or three blockers uh, against him at, at certain times because he was constantly in the backfield wrecking things for Wayne Gallman and Deshaun Watson. All right, let's go to the defensive backfield, and you're going to keep an eye on Michael Jordan. And I hope there's no crying Jordan memes coming out of the uh, Shrine <laughs> game next week but uh missouri western states michael jordan coming in at 511 200 pounds i'm not gonna lie if if i had watched him and he wasn't a good player i probably would have just on my spreadsheet just put the the, the jordan crying name <laughs> just and then that would have just explained everything but uh that was not the case I, I watched this kid a few weeks ago missouri western state 511 200 pounds okay so you have the good size really intriguing because he's got that size but he's also a pretty good athlete and he's really really natural playing the ball in the air he's got great ball skills he's got very good instincts and coverage and it's impressive uh, those instincts because he's a small school player I think he's one of the more underrated corners in this entire draft his ability to both disrupt at the line and then also at the catch point makes him a very very attractive options for teams that love those press coverage type corners I think he's got really uh, high quality NFL upside I'm really excited to watch this kid up close honestly I'm I'm very surprised he's not going to be at the senior bowl because he showed really good pro potential. It's going to be interesting, these next two prospects. So following the wild card game over the weekend and what happened with the Cincinnati Bengals and how they you know, fell apart at the end, 
there are a lot of people on Twitter who are saying, well, I wonder if character is going to be a big point of emphasis. It's already been a big yeah. point of emphasis. And, the, and you know what you're getting with certain guys, especially those guys in Vontez Perfect and Adam Jones. And not that Graham Glasgow, the Michigan offensive lineman, is on that same level, but he had some off-the-field incidents during his time in Ann Arbor, and it's something that teams are going to have to call into question of whether it's just a simple case of someone who's maturing and going through you know, what you see from typical college guys, or is it something that's going to carry over into the NFL? Yeah, and that's, that's going to be the big question because I, I think you know, when I watch Graham Glasgow, and again, he's a center for Michigan. He's 6'6", 298, so he's got great size for the center position. Also played some guard during his time there with the Wolverines, but you know, I think he's pretty underrated. He's got an NFL body. He's got light feet. He plays with an edge. He's tough. He's got the ability to get out in space and reach a moving target, and he's got that search-and-destroy mentality. He played with improved technique throughout his entire career. I think that if he can get into an NFL weight room, continue to add bulk and get stronger, continue to improve his hands, you know, I think he can turn into a quality player. The question will be, like you said, is can you trust him off the field? He had a couple alcohol-related incidents. And it's funny. I think I was reading a story. I'm pretty sure this, this, the last incident happened this past spring, so just, uh, just under a year ago. His grandmother, who's like 80-plus years old, moved into his apartment with him and lived on campus really? with him. Uh, this past season, and it was like the you know she was like the team grandmom, like you know like uh, went to the gym every day and did all the it's it's a pretty cool story, but um you know that'll be the question that he'll have to answer is you know are those issues behind him now on the far opposite end of the spectrum, you have someone who you're not going to have to worry about from a character no. standpoint, and it's Keenan Reynolds who should have been at the Heisman Trophy celebration in New York City as a finalist should have been no question um, obviously quarterback. You know, most prolific scorer in NCAA history. Uh, what is he going to play at the next level? He's not going to play quarterback, and it looks like he's going to play running back here at the Shrine Game. Yeah, he'll he'll be playing as a running back at the Shrine Game. And I started thinking about other players that have made similar type transitions. And the the most recent one that I can remember was uh, Jarek McKinnon from Georgia Southern. He was a quarterback, and then I think his senior year he actually did move to that a back that uh, that slot position uh, for that offense, but had been a quarterback for the majority of his career and then went to the senior bowl as a running back. You know, I don't know that Reynolds is as explosive as as sudden, but he's a really uh, elusive runner. He's got the athleticism to make people miss in space. He's never played the running back position before, so there's going to be some growing pains there for sure. Uh, I, again, I don't know that he's as, as sudden as McKinnon was coming out of the same offense, but uh, you know, I'll be interested to see how Reynolds looks in a, in a senior running back group that honestly is not great. He could stand out. All right, now... It's pick six, but... I made it seven. Fran made it seven. He wants to look at the dueling quarterbacks, Indiana's Nate Sudfeld and Western Kentucky's Brandon Doty. And, and the reason why I paired them together was because I think that in this quarterback class, you know, the, the spots are going to be few and far between for in terms of draft slots. So uh, every performance, every impression that you can make will be very important. I think these are the two best quarterbacks at the Shrine Game. Again, it's Nate Sudfeld from Indiana and Brandon Dowdy from Western Kentucky. And Sudfeld overall, I've always liked him, and I, I've talked about him now. It feels like forever. Uh, a lot of positive traits, I think, that translate to an NFL career. He's got a, a solid arm. He's pretty accurate. He goes through his progressions quickly. He throws with anticipation. It's, and, again, that's something that in an offense like that, it's kind of a you know throw-it-all-around-the-yard offense. I don't always see those kind of traits from those type of quarterbacks, and he's, he shows them. So, I, again, I don't know that he's going to be a quality starter right away, but I think he seems like a guy that's going to stick long-term in the league. And then I just watched Dowdy for the first time in the past couple of weeks, and 
I think he's a nice prospect. He's got a strong arm. I really like his touchdown field. I think he throws probably one of the better deep balls in this class. He displays the ability to sidestep pressure and work in a muddy pocket. Obviously, one of the more important traits that you're talking about for the quarterback position. But there are times where he can be a little bit erratic, a little bit inaccurate as a passer, a little scattershot. And oftentimes, I came away wondering how quickly he processed what he saw on the field. There were a couple times where I thought he held on to the ball too long. seemed like the defenses were confusing him a little bit, and he uh, left some plays on the field. Overall, though, I do think he's a solid prospect. I think he'll need some coaching and need, to, you know, some, need some development there to reach his full potential. But I think that there's definitely some talent there, definitely an intriguing prospect at the quarterback position. It's going to be interesting to see since there is no – Jameis Mariota guy at the top, you know, Jared Goff may go up there. Who knows? Maybe by the end of the process, Wentz or Lynch maybe goes that high. But where do these other guys go and what kind of situations do they fall into? Do they fall into situations where there is a good quarterback developer where they can kind of grow and develop, have a chance to to process things and, you know, maybe become like a like a Kirk Cousins type guy? You know, I'm just trying to think of of guys who have not been first-round picks, but have developed in recent years into starting-level type players, you know, because that's probably going to be the biggest challenge because every team trying to find that guy. Exactly right. And you look at this quarterback group overall, and again, we've talked about all of these different kinds of names, but then again, you look at the last five years and how many quarterbacks have been drafted uh, when you're trying to find, okay, well, how many guys are actually going to get drafted from this group? Over the last five years, an average of 11 quarterbacks have gotten drafted every year. So that's 11 spots you're talking about. Now, I would think that, you know, unless I'm completely wrong, which I very might, very well might be, that decision makers are going to look at this quarterback class and say, you know, there's, there's some quality players here. I would bet that the number will be higher than 11 for okay. quarterbacks drafted. I, I would bet that it would be closer to 13 or 14 uh, because you've got so many guys. That, you know, if, for instance, I think Nate Sudfeld, he's not going to touch the top five in terms of quarterbacks this year. I think he could have been a he could have been a top five quarterback last year. I think if you compared him with uh, the kid from Colorado State, who I'm struggling to remember his name, but I really like Garrett Grayson. Garrett Grayson, thank you. Um, you know, I think you could have said that he was comparable in in some ways to to Garrett Grayson. You know, where would Brandon Dowdy have been in last year's class? He probably would have been a senior bowl quarterback, uh, but now he's dueling to maybe be the best guy at the shrine. Uh, it'll be very very interesting to see how decision makers, how teams treat this quarterback class once we get to April. All right, so that's going to do it for Fran's pick six, even though it's seven. Uh, we're now going to get into our final segment, your questions in our draft mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, our final segment here on this edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA, your questions. And, you know, it was just perfect timing. You get to ask for the questions during the national championship game. Everybody's watching, so... You know, everybody was uh, sending them your way, Fran. Yeah, it was uh, it was fun conversations last night during the game. All right, so the first one comes from Johnny K. Goes at J double underscore care on Twitter. Wants to know who do you see the the big question? Who do, <laughs> who will the Eagles take at number thirteen? And uh, there's many different directions where the Eagles can exactly. go. I guess what's good is obviously offensive line will be you know front and center. Everyone's going to want to know. You know what's going to happen with the offensive line, um, but I guess there's not too many positions where you're like they have to take someone, right? And there, but there's no spot. position where you're looking at and saying, eh, I don't think they should draft that True. position either. Exactly, that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, because uh, even even defensive line, people might say, well, Eagles have been stacked on the defensive line. No, I 
easily could argue that the Eagles could take a defensive lineman, and no I would question. be perfectly fine with it. Yeah, and, in and the first the, round, exactly. And then what's the Sam Bradford situation? Are you going to take? Are you going to think about one of the three quarterbacks there? Uh, I think it's a very, very interesting discussion. It's obviously way too early to say who we think they're going to take, but uh, you know, is it Leonard Floyd? You know, is it one of the quarterbacks? Is it Taylor Decker? Uh, you know, can it be one of the corners? Can it be one of the off-the-ball linebacker? I mean, there's lots of different possibilities there for 13. To me, the most important thing is taking the best player, you know, for the fit of the team, and that, that'll be very intriguing to see. Do you have a player who – I know I know you're a big Tunsil guy, and Tunsil looks like he's going to be way off the board at this point. Yes. Is there a guy that you say he would be a perfect fit, or is it harder to decide what that would be because we're not – sure what the scheme is well, that's the thing we don't we don't know who the who the coaches are yet so until we know that then we can look and say okay this, this guy would be a good fit this guy would be a, a, a good fit or this guy wouldn't be a good fit um you know i think well, that's kind of a wait and see all right next question comes from ben who goes by at tugboat mcguire on twitter uh which draft eligible player who's playing right now could you most realistically see the eagles taking in round one or three so Obviously, we just talked about round one. Yeah, so so round three. It's very uh, obviously it's very early to to say who we think will be there in round three. But um, you know, again, it's a, it's the same scenario. I, I think that when you're looking at when you were looking at last year, who were who were players that we were talking about? You know, players that we liked all throughout the draft season. And one of the guys that I talked about all draft season was Jordan Hicks. Did I think that he was going to necessarily be there in round three? I, you know, I wasn't sure. Maybe because of the injury, but. You know, could Max Turk be there from uh, from USC, the interior lineman that was, you know, an excellent athlete that potentially could have slipped into the back end of round one, but you know, now with the torn ACL may fall. Well, Daddy Nicholas, who a guy that I think is an excellent athlete and is an explosive pass rusher, can do a lot of different things uh, off the edge. Could he fall because of a lack of production? What about Sean Davis, the big corner? You know, I think he's one of the best senior corners. Could he get bumped down because of an influx of junior uh, cornerbacks? I think that uh, there's lots of different names you could talk about in that third round. You know, we'll have plenty of time to talk about it. All right. Uh, next question comes from at Punk Berryman on Twitter. Uh, who are your top three quarterbacks? Here's the thing with with quarterbacks is when it comes to each team, each of them are going to have their own comfort level with each guy. So, uh, and that's all stuff that we're not privy to. So, how, how does a guy do? Uh, on the chalkboard section, well, I guess you know they're not chalkboards anymore, but the whiteboard <laughs> sessions. Uh, you know how what's this FBI like and all that stuff. I mean, everyone wants to know uh, what do how do these quarterbacks stack up? You know, Christian Hackerberg might step up there and look a hundred times better than uh, than Carson Wentz, or might you know, Jared Goff might look better than Carson uh, Paxson Lynch when they step up to the board. Will be very very interesting to see. But you know, just let's from, just go just go from, from what I've seen plane. from yes. what I've seen. You know, I I like Carson Wentz. I think that he belongs in that list. Um, you know, I've got some, I think Paxton Lynch has excellent talent, and he is certainly a great prospect. But I don't think that, and I don't think this is the case really with any of these guys. I don't know how many of them are ready. Yep, day one, plug them in and, and start them right now. Uh, I think that Paxton Lynch has great talent. He's got great feet. He's got, uh, in terms of you know his foot quickness, I think he needs a little bit of work with lower body mechanics. But he's got an excellent arm. He's got excellent athleticism. Very, very interesting upside prospect. I'm not ready to give up on Christian Hackenberg either, uh, a guy that I think is very, very intriguing. Uh, the more I watch Christian Hackenberg from this year, and a lot of people are down on him, and it's, I know it's not a popular thing to say, I think Hackenberg could still be a good player. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I've seen too much on tape of – uh, of him getting sold out by either the scheme or the personnel. 
to think that he won't be a good player in the NFL. I think he still has a ton of pro potential. And then I think Goff is a good player. I've never been 100% sold in on him, so I'll be very interested to see where he ends up going. I, I don't know. that I, I would have some reservation taking him at two overall. You know, I know that was one of the mock drafts we looked at. He mm-hmm. went two to Cleveland. Uh, it would be interesting. But if I had to say the three, I would probably go with those first three guys I said. And, you know, maybe uh, It's tough. I still want to continue to do more work. But I think those four guys are on a tier, and then I just got to figure out what the order is. All right, uh, let's go to the running backs. Dylan Roach on Twitter, at DYL Row. Uh, what are the weaknesses when it comes to Derrick Henry's game, the Heisman Trophy winner? You know, I think that, and some of that showed up last night in the in the national title game. I think that there's a lot of times where he takes some time to gather his feet instead of sticking his foot in the ground and getting downhill. Uh, at sometimes he'll even stop his feet at times. Looks a little bit hesitant at times when he's hitting the hole. Sometimes I know you know you look at the touchdown run last night where he hit it and went, and it was a, a huge hole and he burst through it. There are a little bit. There are sometimes though where I see a little bit of hesitancy. The big question, though, is just his athletic ability. And uh, we've talked about numerous times about how he's, his size is unparalleled to any running back coming out in the last five years. And uh, I think I saw Lance Erline from NFL.com put his 395 touches are more than any running back since I think it was 97. Wow. Uh, you know, and, and obviously over the course of his career, his, not, his touches haven't been as high as some of the big ones. But in the last year, this past season, I mean, he was, he was worked hard. I mean, he had 395 total touches. Um, you know, when you have a guy that's that's had that kind of workload, you question his athleticism. I think that there there's some questions there. I, I don't know that I would say that he's a a first or second round pick. I just I can't say confidently with you know the conviction that he would be that kind of player. All right, two more questions here. Ryan Weiss at Ryan underscore Weiss thirty three on Twitter. Uh, who would be of these offensive line prospects more likely to go inside to guard Taylor Decker, who has been mocked to the Eagles at number thirteen? or Jack Conklin, the tackle from Michigan State? You know, I think this is, we touched on this earlier, I think this is one of the bigger questions that you have to ask if you want one of those at 13. You know, of the two, I would say Conklin is probably more likely to be effective inside. I think he's got more of that guard demeanor. I think he's got more of a guard body, as opposed to Decker, who's got that longer, lankier frame. Uh, and I don't know that you're going to stick him inside. I think Conklin could pass there. Uh, but I do want to watch more and really feel solid about that. But of the two, I would say Conklin. All right. The last co- last question comes from Tom Steerly the second at Steerly Jr. Nine on Twitter. Which of Corey Shepard coming back from the torn ACL? Do the Eagles have enough at cornerback, or do they have to draft another? I mean, two of your top guys are scheduled to become free agents: Nolan Carroll and EJ Biggers. So certainly, at the very least, yes. But um, It'd be interesting if you could break down who would be if they go to a press coverage scheme or if they go to off coverage moving forward, who would be the best fit at each one? You know, I think that, well, first of all, you can never have enough corners. That's a position where you can never, it's almost like pass rusher. You can never have enough of those guys. But um, again, it's important to know what, what's the scheme. And I think that whoever the new staff is, I would imagine they'll look at the current personnel. You see Eric Rowe, you see the money that's invested in Byron Maxwell. It's probably a press scheme, and if you're looking at some of those players, you know, I mentioned Sean Davis earlier from Maryland. Uh, I think he's one of the best seniors in the class. I mean, Harlan Miller from Southeast Louisiana is a small school player who's got great size and has great potential in a press scheme. Michael Jordan, I talked about. Daryl Worley is a guy we've talked about in the past. CMAC back in the uh, in the middle of the fall mm-hmm. from West Virginia, an underclassman who declared who I watched over the summer as a sophomore, and I thought he was really really impressive. Showed good potential in a press type scheme. 
you know, now if you're switching gears and if you're looking at some of those off corners, you know, how about Cyrus Jones from Alabama who shows ability to play both press and off, but it's probably more of the, the latter at the next level, uh, also as a punt returner. Uh, Tavon Young from Temple, a local kid. Jonathan Jones from Auburn. All those guys are going to be at the Senior Bowl, so we'll get to see them up close and personal. But, uh, you know, I think that there's solid depth here in this cornerback class. Uh, very, very intriguing group. And with Ja'Cory Shepard, we've never seen him play. Yeah. Outside of a couple of training camp practices. You can't, so. you can't not pick someone because you think exactly. you've got Ja'Cory Shepard. No, right. certainly not. Uh, I think that's going to do it for us here on this edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. Chris Stevens, if this is your final podcast as a producer, well done, young man. Best of luck moving forward. And uh, again, Fran and Alex Smith will bring you all the latest from the Shrine Game starting on Monday. So make sure to check out those podcasts. Uh, make sure to comment and rate and let us know what you want to hear on future editions of the Journey to Draft podcast presented by AAA. Again, Eagles Insider and Eagle Eye will not be coming your way next week. We will have those. Will Eagle Eye come next week? You no. do? No. no. Okay. I will not do Eagle Eyes from the road. So gotcha. uh, we will have Eagle Eye will return. After this week's one, we will have it back the first week of February. All right. So that's going to do it for us here. For Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. You've been listening to Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA.